Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Remember, once again, together this morning, that though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's go to him in prayer and ask his help as we look at this passage of Scripture. Father, we come once again before you, and even as we sing, Lord, we pray that you would uh, use your word now, Lord, to speak to us, to reveal um, Christ and uh, his character, Lord, his perfection to us, even as we think about this matter of um, how we speak about uh, each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that we would reflect, um, Lord, those who have been brought out of the bondage of sin, the darkness of this world, and have been made uh, co-heirs with Christ, children of the living God, that we would be humble before you, and uh, Lord, we would we would um, be seeking opportunity to build one another up and to encourage one another. And even when it comes time to confront sin, that there would be a spirit of humility and an appealing to your word, God, because we realize, as James says here, that uh, you are, uh, Lord, the, the judge and the lawgiver. And so I pray you keep us from ever elevating ourselves in our own estimations above your word and above you even, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would minister to your people, even as we, um, Lord, prepare for the Lord's table, that there would just be this reminder of the perfection of who Jesus is, of his life and his death and resurrection. And uh, Lord, that we are uh, a people who have been made new in him, that our lives would reflect uh, that reality day by day. And so we ask for, uh, Lord, your blessing upon your word that my, my speaking would be beneficial to your people, would be clear and applicable. Lord, that uh, our hearts and minds would be able to focus together now upon your word, that we can set aside all of the, um, Lord, things that are going on around us or maybe the, the things that lie ahead in the week to come that we, we know we need to do, that we can, for this time, um, just bask in the light of your word and that your spirit would work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Thank you. This morning we look at these few verses in uh, James' letter. 
title is simply exposing the evil of slander. And uh, it's very obvious at this point, as we've come through this letter, that, that James is very concerned with how we use our tongue. And uh, throughout this letter, he has again and again addressed this whole issue. If you just even flip back the page for a moment, uh, you'll see chapter 3. He spent a lot of time um, addressing the use of the tongue, though it is a small member, he said, yet it boasts of great things and compared it to a forest that can be set ablaze by even a small fire. Uh, He compared it to the rudder of a ship that can turn a massive vessel in the water or of a bit that can be placed in the mouth of a beast and able to direct it, to cause it to stop, to turn to the right or to the left. And here again, as James comes to the close of his letter, he once again reminds us of the importance of how we use our words. And in a fascinating way, he actually goes beyond just the words that we speak and he really exposes the, the evil, the great evil of slander, that there is a sense in which it is uh, horizontal one to another as brothers and sisters in Christ. When we slander, that does harm to uh, our relationships and to uh, people's reputation. But James also, we will see, uh, shows us the, the vertical implications as we, in slandering, elevate ourselves above the law of God and even set ourselves up as the judge, which is an offense to God himself. And this is something we probably don't think about very often uh, on this matter. And so we're just going to take some time to, to uh, consider the, the words of James here this morning and try to understand the connection that he's making between slander and even the law and God himself. Now, I'm sure we've all experienced the pain of someone speaking evil against you. Um, it is destructive, it is hurtful, and, uh, and we know that it can be bad enough if it comes from an unbelieving, say, coworker or family member or somebody in the community. Uh, and if, as an unbeliever, we understand maybe that while they, they are, are not thinking with the mind of Christ, they don't understand the word of God, and so maybe it's somewhat to be expected But James here is addressing the professing community. Um, He's not open-air preaching here to any uh, passerby. He's writing a letter to the professing Christians, and he is concerned with the way that they are addressing one another. And and that is uh, actually even in these few verses here, um, he uses the word brother three times and could be referring to brothers or sisters. Sorry, for some reason my printer put a whole bunch of blank pages between one and two. <laughs> there we go. Um, and so three times in, uh, in this verse, he's referencing the brotherhood, the brethren. Uh, this is not talking, obviously, about biological family. He is talking about those who have been brought into a spiritual family, who have been justified by the grace of God through Christ who have been adopted into the family of God. And so we are, in that sense, brothers and sisters in Christ. And even if we think about our biological families, um, though we may ourselves personally, you know, sometimes tease them or even uh, talk about them maybe in a, in a rude way, certainly as uh, young children we see the, the hurtful and, 
and hateful things that children can say at times to their brothers and sisters. And, uh, and certainly all of us have probably remember different times when we got in trouble from our parents because we had said something mean to our sister or brother. And, uh, and yet, if we hear someone else say something bad about our sister or brother, our biological family, uh, we are defensive, aren't we? We, we? we become upset because we love them and we care for them. Though they may frustrate us, there is this defensiveness of our family, of our mom and dad. Uh, we're allowed to talk bad about them, I suppose, but nobody else better talk bad about them, right? If you want to get somebody upset, just, just make a, a rude comment about one of their family members. And yet, sadly, many don't seem to feel that same bond and loyalty to their spiritual family, um, which really, when you think about it, the the biological family, which is is a wonderful uh, institution of God, and we rejoice for our our parents and and the opportunity to have children. Um, But but really, the the spiritual family of God, when when we have been brought together in Christ, adopted into his family, this is the eternal family that will go on into eternity. And it is in that sense, there's actually a closer uh, bond between brothers and sisters in Christ. Thinking even of the words of Jesus, who when he was being told that his mom and his brothers and sisters were wanting him to come, they were wanting his attention, and he, he rebuked that comment in saying, who are my mother and my brothers? Uh, who are my sisters? It is those who, who obey the word of God, who, who, who do the will of God. These are my true brothers and sisters. And, uh, and Jesus is not denying the fact that he you know, has a, a biological uh, mother and um, half-brothers and sisters, but there is this bond in the family of God through Christ that should cause us to be especially concerned how we speak about one another, how we relate to one another, how we represent one another. There, there should be that same sense of defensiveness. If someone is talking evil about your brother or sister, that you should be, uh, you know, in, in a gracious manner, trying to say, hey, listen, that, that's, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's one for who Christ has died uh, I don't appreciate you speaking of them in that manner. And there should be that same uh, uh, um, defensiveness that rises up within us. As a parent of uh, a father of five boys, um, you've probably heard me say before that it's one of the most infuriating things to hear your children speaking evil of one another or hurting one another, doing harm to one another. And... Uh, and, you know, even before they're talking, they still have the ability to, to swing a fist or throw a toy or bite, right? And, and, and we, we discipline our children when they, when they set themselves against one another. And uh, there is a righteous uh, indignation as a parent to see your children engaging in that sort of behavior. But let us not forget that God as our Heavenly Father is also grieved and angered when His children set themselves against one another, when they, when they begin to, to bite and devour, as Paul would say, one another in the way that we speak. And, and it also, on the, uh, inversely, brings God great joy and delight to see his children enjoying uh, one another's presence, encouraging one another, building one another up, showing kindness, 
Um, you know, as parents, we maybe often speak about the times when our children are misbehaving, but there is also those moments when you see a sibling care for their brother or sister. Maybe it's helping them get their boots on or helping them uh, with their food or helping them reach something that they can't. And there's a sense of joy and, and pride in that. And you, you rejoice in, in that display of kindness. And I believe in the same way, God delights to see his children caring for one another being defensive of one another, um, being intentional with our words, being slow to speak and quick to listen. So we need to continually pray and ask the Spirit of God to convince us and to really put this conviction within our hearts and minds that we belong to God and we belong to one another. We are a spiritual family, especially as a church body who has covenanted together Uh, Yes, as brothers and sisters, we can have that same sense of fellowship uh, apart from uh, even outside of this church body. Maybe it's in other parts of the world, other parts of the province. There's that sense of of being a kingdom citizen with them, of of a common savior and faith. But even all the more uh, in in each local body, as we have covenanted together, there should be a sense of, of love and consideration and carefulness in the way that we speak. And I'm grateful to, to have experienced that uh, among you, to see uh, an intentional desire to care for one another, to encourage one another, to, to build up one another. And so, uh, you know, we're coming to this as we are working through the letter of James, and I think it serves as a, as a good reminder for us. Um, but I do rejoice in the, the, the love and kindness that I witness here um, day after day. Uh, through this local body, but I pray the Lord would, would hold us fast in that, would, would continue to, to shape and mold us, to remind us of the danger of slander and speaking evil. It's, so, uh, it's one of those things that there's even times in, maybe it's even sharing a prayer request. And uh, this can be so subtle that we maybe don't even realize it. Maybe you're genuinely concerned for a situation. It's heavy upon your heart and, and you're, you're wanting to, to pray about it. You're wanting to, to um, you know, have, have others also share and, and caring for this person. But, but maybe you're sharing, you begin sharing too many details, too much information about the situation that you actually are not entitled to share. And it can quickly turn from concern and even prayer requests to to gossip and to sharing information that is not really helping things at all, but is actually just kind of encouraging this this mentality of of, of gossip. And, And we have to be on guard against that. Now, this, of course, is one of those passages that uh, can be quickly abused as well. Um, again, thinking back to the Sermon on the Mount, no doubt as James is writing this, and he, he picks up on this idea of uh, judging brothers and sisters, uh, we have to think of Matthew 7, where Jesus spoke of this exact problem and gave instruction in Matthew 7. Jesus said, very similar to what James is saying, judge not that you be not judged, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck? Uh, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
So as James saying and as Jesus saying that there is never a time to confront somebody with sin, never a time to talk about a situation or, or a problem in someone's life. Are we never to, to mention this? Um, you know, the old mentality when you, when you point out to someone what they're doing is wrong and, and it is contrary to scripture and they respond back with, well, well don't judge lest you be judged, right? This, this kind of uh, one line that is supposedly meant to shut down any critique, any sort of um, uh, standard that we might hold people to. They think that, well, just by saying, yeah, Jesus said we're not to judge, so actually you, don't, you can't say anything. You can't question what I'm doing. I can do what I want. You don't get to judge me. And these sort of passages are used to, to, to do that. Is that what James and, and, and Jesus uh, have in mind? Well, obviously not. And we talked even Wednesday how there's the, the principle of allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. And so we, we have to understand these principles in light of the rest of God's Word. But even in the context of, of Matthew 7, is Jesus saying that it's wrong to point out a speck in a brother or sister's eye? Is it wrong to try and, and, and address that and help remove it? Uh, no, that's not the problem. The problem is the hypocrisy. The problem is that, that you, you have a log in your own eye. Jesus, uh, obviously using a very uh, a graphic picture there, but the, the, you have a log in your own eye. And so who are you to think in that condition, you can come to your brother or sister and help them remove the speck? It's not that you're wrong to want the speck removed, but you need to first deal with your own sin, your own uh, problem before God. And then Jesus says, once you have dealt properly with your own sin before God, then you can come to your brother or sister and you can see clearly to remove the speck. So it's not that we do not judge, but that we learn to judge rightly and that we learn to judge with humility before God. And I believe James is, 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 would, would say the same thing as Christ. Obviously, if somebody is walking in rebellion to the word of God and we come to them, as we're instructed, in a spirit of gentleness and love and, and yet firmness that what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is an offense to God, it's sinful, you need to stop, you need to repent. That is not us setting ourselves up as the judge or the lawmaker. That is appealing to the law that God has given to his word, appealing to God as the judge and, and lovingly reminding someone of what God has already said. And so there, there is a distinction there. And, and certainly Jesus even commands and the Bible commands that we actually do confront sin in the lives of one another and as a church. But we do so on the basis of scripture and not on the basis of personal preference or personal opinion. And when we are dealing with these sorts of situations, if you see a brother or sister walking in sin, you know, maybe um, you, you have become aware that, uh, you know, they, they've, they've given themselves over to, to gambling and they are spending thousands and thousands of dollars gambling away at the casino and, and, and you've become aware of this. Well, well, does that mean that we just sit back and we don't say anything? Well, no, of course not. Um, what you do not do is first go to all your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, did you hear what so-and-so is doing? I saw him at the casino the other day and I've heard he's gambled away like three or four different paychecks already. Can you believe that? Can you believe what he's doing? This is so awful. You see, that, that's unhelpful. That's speaking evil of your brother. What you need to do is go to 
them directly and say, "Listen, I, I've heard or I've become aware of what's happening. Um, is it true? Like, are you really engaging in gambling? Are you are you you know wasting all of this money? Do you realize that God's word says that is is wrong? You know, we're we're to be stewards of what God has given us. We're to manage this as it is His and." Uh, and then you see the difference when you come to the person personally and you address this. That is not setting yourself up as a judge against them. That's actually doing what we're commanded to do. And, and it's the first step in church discipline. And, and, and many times when we uh, talk to someone about a concern that we've had or maybe they said something that hurt us or offended us. And we, we try to go to them directly. By God's grace, many times the issue is even resolved at that first step. And there's no need to, to go on in the process. Um, but if they're unrepentant, if they're unwilling to turn, then, then we're given clear instructions that you go again with a, another brother or sister to them. And if they still remain unrepentant, then you, you bring even the, the, the elders and you bring the church body to them and calling them to repentance. That is good and biblical and, and loving even. But we must guard against this temptation to, to slander them behind their back, to speak evil about them with an unwillingness to go to them directly as a brother or sister in Christ. So that's the difference here. James would not say it's wrong to confront sin. Obviously, he's writing a letter that is confronting sin after sin. So it would be quite, quite hypocritical of James then to, to say, well, you don't, you know, don't judge anyone. Don't, don't come to them with the word of God and call them to repentance. I mean, his entire letter in many ways is a call to repentance. So that is, that is good and right for us to do, even in a culture that, that loathes the idea of someone doing that. We live in this relativistic age that, that there, there is no standard by which you can hold me to anything. I am my own God, my own lawmaker, my own judge. That, that's the mindset of the world. But it really has no place in the Christian church. We appeal to the authority of God's word and to God himself as the judge, as the lawgiver. And we do so with a spirit of humility and gentleness. Paul says in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So clearly, if someone is caught in sin, they're caught in transgression, Paul says, you who are spiritual, you who, who are, are strong in your faith and, and equipped with the word, go to them to restore them with gentleness but even in that, there should be a sense of fear and trembling, knowing your own weakness, knowing your own vulnerability, that as you go to them, uh, you must be on guard. You should ask people to be in prayer for you. Ask people for counsel. Um, and, and when you go into those situations, do not be arrogant. Paul MacArthur, uh, Paul, John MacArthur, sorry, um, points out that the word that... Uh, James uses here for judges, it's not um, referring to evaluation, but to condemnation. That is the, the idea that James has. It's not that we can never evaluate someone's life or, or, or test it against scripture, but when we come with this idea of condemnation to someone as though we have already pronounced the sentence and, 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 and want to execute judgment upon them, that is what James is speaking against. And that's what we need to guard in ourselves. So we must be careful 
as, as that line is sometimes very thin, the line between uh, coming to someone in, in love and concern or even speaking about someone or a situation with a desire to help, with a desire to, to work towards resolution, and on the other side of the line, gossiping or slandering or doing harm to that person. And I'm, I'm grateful that my wife will at times tell me, um, you know, if we're talking about a situation or, um, you know, or, or, or something going on, that at times she will say, well, I, th- I think you're actually giving more detail, more information than you need to. Um, that, you know, and, and a bit of a rebuke in there from, from my wife at times. And I'm grateful that she's willing to do that. And we need to be willing with one another. If you're meeting a friend for coffee or you have someone over at your house and you're talking about a situation, um, that there is a way to just gently but firmly say, you know, I, I don't think we need to, to go into all the details of that situation. And uh, a great test actually is if you're talking about someone or something, um, ask yourself, is this something that I would say or be willing to say if they were in the room with me. Chances are, if, if you're talking about someone in a way that, that you would not want them to hear, um, then you're probably edging on this side of gossip and slander. That there should be a willingness to, to go to someone directly if we are truly convinced they are sinning against us or sinning against God. I know I've shared before as well an old pastor that uh, helped in Grand Prairie for a time used to always say that if what you're saying does not help to resolve the situation, then you are gossiping. And that many times can also be a good test. Is my talking about this in this way at this time with this person, is that going to help bring resolution, bring restoration? Was it going to work to to their building up in the faith? Or maybe... Even asking yourself, after having talked about this, uh, could I stop and pray for that person? Um, you know, and, and even, you know, sometimes for, for Dave and I as elders, we, we need to talk about things. We need to sort through things. Maybe it's even in one another's life that we're, we're trying to sort things through. And uh, we try to always make a practice of after having done that to then stop and pray specifically for each person involved, pray for one another, because there's something about uh, bringing someone to the Lord in prayer, bringing a situation to the Lord in prayer, that it reminds us of of, uh, our own need of God's grace, our own need of his mercy and strength. And And it helps, I think, to also cultivate a love for our brothers and sisters when we can pray for them and really lift them up to the Father, um, you know, instead of just simply talking about it. Because as we know, and as James has said, that when, when, we, when we voice words of slander or evil, there is no way to retract those, is there? Once those words leave our mouth, we, we can't take them back. It's like, it's like walking outside on a windy day and throwing up a stack of papers and then thinking that you can go and collect all of those papers back. You can't. Once they are up into the wind, it carries them and they are gone. I mean, we live in a kind of an especially windy place. Um, you know, Isaac said when he was doing some work uh, for me there that it reminded him of Lethbridge, which I didn't really realize other places aren't maybe as windy as where we live. 
because we're on kind of the edge of a quarter section, I suppose, and a bit of a wind tunnel through the trees. So it gets really windy, and every spring uh, I'm ashamed of how much stuff has blown into our neighbor's field, and so I try to get the boys to go and not pick rocks so much as pick our garbage out of our neighbor's field. And, uh, and it really is a picture of gossip, isn't it? it? How the wind can grab something and carry it for miles. And uh, you may try and catch it, but if, if multiple things are going, then there's just no way to really gather it all. And that is our words. If, they are, if, they are, um, if, our, if our mouth is allowed to run loose and we just speak whatever is on our mind and we're voicing our opinions about this person or that person, then those things are scattered and we cannot take them back. So we need to use self-control. We need to pray that God give us wisdom and, uh, and, and, and caution. I think, again, the admonition from James, let us be slow to speak, quick to listen. I mean, we need to preach that to ourselves, especially when you're dealing with a situation that, that there, there is maybe an offense or something that has upset you. We need to seek the Lord that we do not sin in this area. And from this place, uh, the horizontal level, as I said, the the evil uh, of speaking against one another and judging one another in this way, Paul makes this fascinating connection between the law and between God as the lawgiver. From this point, we may have expected him to do something like John does in 1 John, which is appeal to love, that we don't do this, we don't slander one another because we're to love one another. Um, In 1 John uh, three sixteen to 18, John writes this. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And, and John often appeals to this motivation of, of loving your brother, of, of, of serving him as Christ has served us and loved us. And James comes at it from a little different angle, though I think in the end it's, it's very similar, we will see. But he, he makes this fascinating connection. At first you're like, I don't, I don't follow you, James. What are you getting at here? He says um, that the one who speaks against a brother or judge Uh, judges his brother, speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. What an interesting statement. What a a, uh, profound connection between slander, speaking evil about somebody, and the word of God, the law of God. What is James getting at? I don't think any of us probably you know, generally think about speaking evil or gossiping as speaking evil against the word of God or speaking evil about God. How is it that that is possible? How can my slandering a brother or sister also at the same time be slandering um, the word of God, the law of God? Well, when you think about the essence of what the law is, You remember that Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments by saying we are, uh, maybe some of you kids remember the first and greatest commandment that Jesus, when he was asked what is the greatest commandment, how did Jesus respond? What is the first and great commandment? You shall, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So so Jesus summarizes the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments by love 
the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is the second commandment then? We're to love the Lord our God. We're also to love our parents. That's good too. Would fall into that. (laughs) Our neighbor. Thank you. We're to love our neighbor as ourself, right? And so, so as Jesus is summarizing the Ten Commandments, the law of God, he really summarizes it with love. Love for God, love for neighbor. And so for James, he uses the word law, and we tend to think maybe of, of something that's very rigid, something that's you know, um, very concrete, and whereas love for John maybe sounds more approachable, it sounds more affectionate, but really they're, they're actually saying the same thing. If the essence of God's law is to love God and to love our neighbor, then when we slander our brother or sister in Christ, that is to not love them, that is to show hatred to them. And that really then is, as James is saying, is to speak evil against what God has commanded us. It is to belittle the command of God. We, when we act in a way opposite to the law, then we really are setting ourselves up as above the law. We wouldn't say that. We know that's wrong. But James is saying, in reality, that's what you're doing. You act as though you know better than the law of God. And this is why James says, instead of being a doer, we set ourselves up even as the judge. I mean, this is a frightening way to think about the seriousness of slander. We may think, oh, you know, I didn't really mean to hurt them. I just was, you know, I was just venting. I was just airing off. I, I, just, I just needed to, you know, uh, just, you know, put my hair down a little bit and just express myself in the situation. I wasn't really slandering them. And we want to kind of play it down, right? We want to pretend that it wasn't that big a deal. And James is saying, you don't realize that you're not only slandering your brother or sister in Christ, but you're also slandering the law of God. And at that point, you are setting yourself up as the judge. And this is an offense to God himself. Again, um, John MacArthur pointed out on this point, he said, by placing himself above the law, the slanderer also attempts to place himself above the only true lawgiver and judge, God himself. Such folly places the sinner on par with Satan, who sought unsuccessfully to usurp God's throne. And uh, if you remember in Isaiah 14, 13 and 14, there are these five I wills that, that is believed to be describing the devil himself. In Isaiah 14, we have the statements, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is the exact reason why Satan was kicked out of heaven, why he was removed from his position as cherub, that he had begun in his mind to elevate himself above God. And that is the great offense of the devil. And James is saying, when you slander, you are actually doing much the same thing. You set yourself up above the law as the judge, as even the one who can give the law. And that should cause us to fear and tremble, realizing that our offense in these moments is not just against our brothers and sisters, but it is a sin against God. And we see the full 
wrath of God poured out upon the angels who knew nothing of grace, nothing of repentance. But for us who have experienced the grace of God, there should be this this added motivation and compelling of, of, of love, seeing what Christ has done even after our great offense. Jesus has humbled himself that we might be made right with God. And so how can we then try to elevate ourselves, and not only above our brothers and sisters, but above the law of God itself. As I said, we can certainly appeal to God's law when it comes to matters of right and wrong, but we mustn't ever add our own opinions to the word of God and then presuppose that onto someone else. That really is the, the danger of, of legalism as well, which can play into this. Maybe our expectations um, of ourselves or our own personal convictions on areas where the scripture has not given us clear commands, we, we must not then try to set that upon somebody else and then slander them when they fall short. That's exactly what the Pharisees had done in Jesus' day adding all of these laws and rules upon the law of God and then holding that over top of people in a form of bondage. And Jesus rebuked them for that. He called them blind guides and empty tombs. And, 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 and God is, is, is passionately um, defensive of not only his people, but his law and his position of the judge, uh, as the judge. So there's a call for us as well here then to be growing in familiarity with the word. This is why we need to be, all of us need to be students of the Bible, um, reading it, meditating upon it, even in the music that we listen to, that it would help to cultivate biblical truths in our minds and hearts so that when we do come to these sorts of situations where we want to speak, we learn to speak biblically and not simply from my own opinion or my own preference. The word must stand as the authority to which we appeal and to which we ourselves are subject to. And that goes for pastors and elders, for moms and dads, for children, for governments and rulers, for police officers, for judges in the courts. All of us are underneath the law of God, the word of God, and should submit to him as the true lawgiver. <coughs> Excuse me. So, and that's how James closes this with just a clear reminder that there is only one lawgiver and judge, and it is he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? I had to think of uh, Job 40. I'm just going to turn there for a moment in, in just this reminder. And I think we, we need this uh, many times. Just a clear, strong reminder that God is God and I am not. I am not the one who is going to execute judgment on the day of, of God's wrath. We certainly can come to one another with the word of God and and, and, and call each other to obedience. But we cannot look into the motives and intentions of one another's hearts. We cannot say whether someone will be 
saved or lost at the end when they stand before God. Some of these things we, we need to place our hand over our mouth and allow God to be God. And, and this is in many ways in, in Job 40, um, as Job had given his complaints and all of his friends had, or so-called friends, I guess we should say, uh, at least two of them, had given all of their counsel and input into what was going on. We find in, in, in ver- chapter 40, the Lord comes to Job and we read in 40 verse 1, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I will acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And God then appeals to some of the great creatures that he has made. And, and, and Job is, is completely silenced in his critiques and complaints. And this is what James is doing as well. He's reminding us. God is God. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. And essentially, he closes that verse with, who do you think you are? Maybe you've said that to uh, a child or, or something when they come to you with their accusations and their complaints and, and their plan on how we're going to do this. And, uh, and uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, well, I won't think I'm Nathan too much, but uh, maybe it's something as simple as how are you going to do a task? And, and uh, and, and as one under authority, you are called to obey and submit yourself. And James says, if you come with this sort of judgmental attitude, essentially, who are you to judge your neighbor? And there we, like Job, place our hand over our mouth and we appeal only to God and to his word. And we consider time and time again, even as we come to the table this morning, as we consider the kindness and mercy of God, even when we deserved his wrath and punishment, Christ still identified himself with us. He clothed himself in our human flesh. He, he came as the lawgiver, as the giver of life. He steps under the law and submits himself to it that he might fulfill all righteousness and then die in our place upon the cross. And Jesus suffered not with his own shame and guilt, but with our shame and guilt until it was removed, until the wrath of God was satisfied against us in the body of Christ. And we rejoice in this good news of the gospel. And so as 
as those who have been redeemed, brought into this family of God, how can we be so quick to critique or to criticize or to slander our brothers and sisters? Should we not be all the more eager to extend forgiveness and grace as we have been given, even when there has been uh, a wrong? Maybe you're justified in your offense. You're justified in, in in, in your anger towards someone. But even in that... As we consider what Christ has done, that while we were yet enemies, he died for us. This is how we are also called to love one another. To be quick to forgive. Quick to build up and to encourage. Love hopes all things, Paul says. Don't assume the worst of someone. But hope all things. Pray for them. Use the word to admonish. And let us be careful in how we speak of one another, for we may find ourselves slandering not only a brother or sister whom Christ has purchased, but slandering the word of God and setting ourselves up as a judge. And certainly that's not a place that any of us want to find ourselves. And so let us look unto Christ and prepare ourselves to remember his death and resurrection in the elements together. Bow with me, please, and we'll close there this morning. Lord, we thank you once again for your word that is clear. And Lord, it is convicting to each of us. Lord, we know that uh, as long as there is breath in our lungs, that there will be this temptation to use our words wrongly, to, to do harm instead of good. And I pray that, Lord, we would just keep these words of James before us, this strong connection between um, the slandering of brothers and sisters and Lord, the slandering of your word, of your law, even, even having this demonic-like attitude that, that we can assume the place of lawgiver. Lord, keep us from that. And I pray you expose it within us that we would tremble and, uh, Lord, even just have a sense of holy awe. Even in, when we do come to someone trying to bring correction uh, according to your word, that it would never be with arrogance or pride, but realizing that we too are sinners saved by grace. We thank you for Christ, for his great humility that he has, Lord, identified with our lowliness and weakness as creatures of dust who, Lord, have been given the breath of life. It's amazing to think Christ, Lord, is the God-man, our faithful high priest, even now seated at the right hand of the Father, And Lord, one day we'll return to earth to establish this new heavens and new earth with a new humanity made after the likeness of Christ, our new Adam. And we give thanks for all of this and the the picture and the reminder of it in the Lord's table. We pray that you bless, uh, Lord, uh, just the, the, the time together. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.